Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North on this Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. Uh, just to put a bit of a programming note in effect, the next edition of this program will not be tomorrow uh, as usual, but it will actually be on Thursday, and we'll be doing it live on stage at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference in Ottawa. We've uh, done a live stage version of the show once before, and that was in Red Deer, and it went so well that uh, we decided to do it again in Ottawa. So if you're there in the studio audience, do come and say hello preferably not during the show because i'll be uh, tied up that hour but after the show definitely and if you are not going to be at the conference do join us online on that stream that'll be a thursday afternoon just in uh, two days time here i just as a point of apology here i we're starting a little bit late today because my uh, house was flooding and i think might actually still be flooding right now i had to like just run into the studio to start the show uh so if i uh, just end up underwater by the end of it you'll understand why but i i think i can just get around with uh just swishing my feet around in it so for now we are still afloat and hopefully we'll make it through the rest of it this is the joy of working from home but a uh, big news in ottawa that i want to get to which is the liberal government finally agreeing to let Katie Telford testify about Chinese interference into Canada's elections. The Liberals had been filibustering on committee for quite some time, not even letting a motion to compel her as a witness get to a vote. Uh, there was even a little whisper that the vote in the House of Commons was going to be a confidence vote, although eventually Justin Trudeau decided it wasn't going to be, and Katie Telford magically agreed to testify, and the NDP somehow decided to abandon its firm stand in support of the motion to reject the motion, which was put forward by the Conservatives. I want to speak now to a Conservative MP, former Conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, who joins me on this. Uh, Andrew, is this a win, even though the motion itself was defeated? Well, I guess I would say it's an improvement. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a win because we're still far short of the independent public inquiry that is actually needed to get to the bottom of this scandal. Uh, all that we've done uh, now is, is, is got to the point where after throwing up all kinds of procedural roadblocks and filibustering and, and you know, liter uh, virtually liberal MPs reading the phone book at committee uh, to prevent this from coming to a vote, we finally broken that logjam. And, uh, and now Ms. Telford will, will appear. But, you know, it's just one more reminder that the liberals only climb down when they try literally everything else, you know, we, we could have we, we, we could have had this motion adopted three weeks ago and saved the taxpayer all the money that that goes to having committee meetings during break weeks and things like that. And we might have even heard from Ms. Telford already. Instead, the Liberals desperately tried to prevent that from happening. Climb down today is an improvement, but still not where we need to be. Well, and I would also point out that even when she is testifying, there's no guarantee that it will be uh, all that transparent. We've seen as recently as the Public Order Emergency Commission how all of these different tools in the toolbox like cabinet confidence, solicitor client privilege, national security uh, come out in ways where people really can't even assess if it's being used honestly and in good faith. So are you concerned or predicting that uh, we're going to see national security reasons used to basically cloud any answer of substance during her testimony? Uh, absolutely we are. Uh, in fact, the, 
the uh, the ink wasn't dried on the statement from uh, the prime minister's office that Miss Telford would be appearing. And Justin Trudeau was out in front of the cameras telling people that, you look, there's going to be a lot of questions she can't answer. Well, that's, again, another point to reinforce why Canadians need a public inquiry. Uh, we, we, we have to create, uh, uh, when I say we, I mean the, the government has an obligation to be open and transparent with Canadians and create a process whereby senior officials who have been briefed on how the communist government in China was funneling, funneling money through to liberal candidates, and, and these are not my words, these are, these are reports that are coming from CSIS, uh, we have to have officials be able to testify openly about this. We're talking about our election system. We're not talking about, you know, uh, secret agents in other countries who we can't blow their cover because, you know, there'd be repercussions on their lives here. We're talking about people who put their names on the ballot. We're talking about p political parties who have to openly disclose where they spend their money and how they raise their money. And we can't have uh, the government hide behind bogus uh, uh, excuses for not answering important questions. So, um, look, uh, we'll, we'll hope that Ms. Telford is, is open and transparent. We're not going to hold our breath because she has the same problem that liberals have, which is that they, they seem to be allergic to sunlight. Uh, and, uh, but, but it's, it's one more tool that the opposition parties are using to both highlight the importance of this issue and try to get an answer on behalf of Canadians. I, obviously, there's been a lot of effort going towards getting Katie Telford to testify in the fir first place. So uh, let's back up here, Andrew. Why do the Conservatives believe she is such a, a pivotal figure in this? What is it that you believe she has that will contribute to uh, the sunlight, if you will, on this scandal? That, that is a great question because, you know, we hear from the Liberals this, this idea of like, oh, you, you don't need to hear from uh, Katie Telford because ministers uh, answer for their departments and ministers uh, uh, are the ones that are ultimately responsible. I should point out that Katie Telford has already testified at committee twice uh, on other issues. So, so that argument is, is, uh, is phony right off the bat. But secondly, Katie Telford is not just some random government officials. She's not just some random liberal to use Justin Trudeau's own words. She has two roles, really. One as his chief of staff when it comes to supporting the prime minister's work in running the country. But she's also a senior official within the Liberal Party of Canada. And that is where we also need to shine the light. What did the Liberal Party itself know? What, you know people who have run campaigns, people who do fundraising for the Liberals. There's, every party has people who go out and, and, and build relationships and build networks and raise funds and get people active. And when the allegations are that the communist government in China was inserting itself into that very type of network, those very types of, of networks and organizations, and, and, and illegally interfering in Canadian elections, well, then we need to hear from Katie Telford as to what she knew in her role as a Liberal Party operative. And the final point I would make on this is that Justin Trudeau is, is claiming two things. Uh, he's claiming that, the, that there are robust uh, national security agencies who, who investigate these types of things and report to him. And he's also saying he's never read any of the reports. You know, he, he's, he, the, the reports say that there was money coming from China to support liberal candidates. He says he never received any information on that. So the first question we'd like to ask Katie Telford is, what did she do with those reports? Uh, if, if Justin Trudeau is not lying then somebody must have prevented him from reading those reports. It was it her. If it wasn't, who was it and why? These are the types of things that only she can answer.
Yeah, and you raise an important point about this story here, which is that the, the fact that interference existed is indisputable. In fact, even the Liberals uh, hardly dispute that now. They sort of downplay it. So I, I guess it is the hypothesis that you and your party has going into this, that the Liberals were just so incompetent, they weren't really paying attention, didn't know it? Or do you believe that the Liberals knowingly accepted support from China in the 2021 and 2019 elections, the uh, 2019 election being the one in which you were the Conservative leader? Well, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of, of, of what I believe might happen, but I think what we're, but I, I'll tell you what we do know. We do know that there are senior people, uh, senior officials at our intelligence agencies who have taken the unprecedented step of leaking some of this information to the media. And, uh, and these, the, these individuals, these, the, these, these officials who work for these agencies are putting themselves in grave danger. Uh, we're not just talking about, you know, people that are, are now at risk of getting fired. There are legal consequences for leaking this type of information. Mm -hmm. And what they are saying, when, when, when they talk to the media uh, and, and, their, and their names are protected and they're anonymous, they are saying that they briefed the government, they briefed the Liberals, and that nothing was done about it. And so that's, that's what we're trying to understand. Why? Is it the case that Justin Trudeau knew that his candidates, his party was receiving this type of report, uh, sorry, support, and just shrugged his shoulders and said, well, as long as he's the beneficiary of it, he's not going to lift a finger to stop it. Uh, what, what level of uh, detail did they know about? Um, at the very least, it looks, it's starting to look like uh, a case of negligence and, and not responding to very serious and, and grave threats. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, and I don't want to get out too far ahead of what we, we know for sure, what the facts we know. Again, I, I use all this to reinforce the point that I shouldn't be sitting here speculating. You shouldn't be wondering. Uh, your viewers shouldn't be trying to read between the lines and fit the pieces together. We should have a public inquiry with someone that people can trust, someone who's not compromised, someone who doesn't have strong links to the Liberal Party or Justin Trudeau personally, who can go through and sort through the facts and come to a conclusion as to what the government did wrong and what it should have done earlier. That's why we need a public inquiry. So let's just look at the forward aspect of this, because we know that uh, David Johnston, the new special rapporteur, former ski buddy of the Trudeau family, maybe current ski buddy, I don't know, uh, is looking into this. He is going to advise whether or not he thinks there should be a public inquiry by uh, late May. Uh, at this point, I mean, we've already seen as recently as uh, this week that the Liberals like to use the confidence motion tactic as a bit of a fake out to get the NDP to fall in line. So there could very conceivably be an election before we even have a public inquiry, let alone the results of one. So if we are talking about a vulnerability in our democratic process, that's still there right now. Well, you're exactly right. You know, first of all, uh, you know, this this phony title, this this made up position of a uh, special rapporteur, you know, it sounds uh, sounds very fancy. You know, I don't know if you have to wear a tie when you're in his presence and, you know, how low. You the yeah, the out. monocle. Everyone gets yeah, the, so monocle the monocle when they're a special yeah, rapporteur. Yeah. Where's my waistcoat? <laughs> I need to get dressed for the rapporteur <laughs> who's coming. Um, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. But if, if you thought it was ridiculous just in and of itself, Justin Trudeau found a way to make it more ridiculous by appointing Dave, David Johnson, uh, someone who brags about uh, uh, growing, having his kids grow up with the Trudeau kids at, at their chalet in the Laurentians. I mean, if we're trying to think about what the what it might look like to be part of the, the Laurentian elite, uh, I mean, 
this is it. Literally, yeah, it's a literal Laurentian. Usually, they're figurative Laurentian elite. That's this is right. a literal Laurentian elite. That's right. You know, uh, the, the types of people who who have chalets in the Laurentian and 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 put their kids in skiing lessons together. Not not a group I've ever been a part of. But uh, uh, Justin Trudeau thinks that uh, that it's appropriate to name a card carrying member of the uh, of of his close family circle uh, to this post. It's just ridiculous. I mean. A close, uh, David Johnson is a close family friend of the Trudeaus. He um, he also sits on the Trudeau Foundation board. This is the very foundation that accepted money f that had links back to the same communist regime that is interfering in elections now uh, and, and sat on that for years. They only returned the money when they got caught. And uh, David Johnson sits on that board. The, the Trudeau Foundation is, is implicated in these allegations, and he's on the board. I mean, he should have refused this uh, th th this appointment. And Justin Trudeau's done a terrible thing to his friend. He's done a terrible thing by using David Johnson in this uh, manner, uh, which is which is now going to have a, a blight on 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 an, on on, a, on on his public service record that he's decided to uh, to work with Justin Trudeau in this way. If, if Justin Trudeau was truly his friend, he would never have asked him to do this. So again, you know, this is just uh, another reason why we continue to push for our call for uh, an independent public inquiry. Andrew Shear, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks very much. That was a conservative MP, former conservative, uh, former conservative leader, also former House Speaker, and he's he's had all the roles there. So I appreciate him taking the time to weigh in on this today. He was the one yesterday that came in. I think very pointedly po pointed out the uh, circumstances about this conservative motion and the liberals obfuscation. And I, I just want to point out the NDP here. And I've always said, I, I don't want to make the mistake of attributing or ascribing relevance to the NDP in the current political climate. But uh, take a look at this clip of Jagmeet Singh saying he will support the conservative motion if Trudeau doesn't let Telford testify. Just to be clear then, you're willing to accept the fact that this could go to the Ethics Committee at some point with Katie Telford being there and the whole list of people that the Conservatives want to bring forward. You're willing to go the whole gamut if the Prime Minister doesn't uh, allow Katie Telford to speak. Well, we're saying very clearly that there's an opportunity in 10 minutes where the government's going to show us if they stop the obstruction and if they allow the Chief of Staff to testify, then uh, if they don't do that, then we will for uh, we will support the opposition motion, which is the the entirety of that motion. So you want to appear at Proc? You want the the, the, the committee that's that's uh, filibustering right now to stop that? Her appear there, and if that doesn't happen, you'll vote with the other parties on. on okay. That's correct. It's a bit of an odd move. So yeah, I think that Katie Telford should testify and I'm going to support the motion to get Katie Telford to testify if Katie Telford doesn't voluntarily testify, but the Liberals served her up. So Jagmeet Singh all of a sudden uh, doesn't have to support the motion. It's very weird. And, and you can tell that even when he's pretending to be the big tough guy, he's uncomfortable going up against the Justin Trudeau Liberals. And he's really uncomfortable doing anything that might be seen as supporting the Conservatives. And it's amazing how easy easy it is for the Liberals to control the NDP. And the the confidence vote thing was, I think, a big part of this. So yesterday, the uh, Liberal House leader is floating this little test balloon out that, oh, I'm not saying it's not, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. And of course, that means to the NDP 
you better vote with us because if you don't, the election is going to come and you're going to have no money and you're going to go from having uh, 24 seats to having uh, 18 seats and you're going to cease to be as irrelevant as you are. You're going to somehow manage to be even less irrelevant. So that's when the liberals start talking about making things confidence motions. They're trying to tell the NDP, you better stay in line. And by and large, it works. Now, Justin Trudeau had to blink here. He did. He had to blink. They had to offer up this token of Katie Telford. But as Andrew Scheer and I were talking about, it's not going to amount to all that much because she'll sit down and anytime any question of substance comes up, it'll be, well, uh, you know, national security. Well, uh, cabinet confidence. Well, uh, you know, I forget what I was doing that day. And, and we're not really going to be any closer to the answers. Now, I don't think a public inquiry is going to be as transcendent as the conservatives tend to, but I also agree that we can't do nothing, which is the most recognizable position to what the liberals are doing now. Transparency is very much hard to come by, which brings us to this topic, which is one we, we mentioned a little bit ago when the process was put in motion. But there is underway now a national citizens inquiry into Canada's response to COVID-19. Now, this was initially going to be read, uh, led by Preston Manning, although Preston Manning was appointed by Alberta Premier Danielle Smith to lead the Alberta inquiry. So he was replaced by broadcaster Trish Wood. Uh, Trish Wood recently uh, stepped down and has been replaced by uh, Michelle Leduc Catlin, who we'll speak to in just a moment here. But I want to set the stage with what this is about, because we know that government is not itself the body that wants to investigate itself. When government investigates itself, it tends to uh, come out with a result that looks uh, curiously like it's exonerating itself, which defeats the purpose of the investigation. So the National Citizens Inquiry is led by citizens. They've still commissioned experts. They've appointed commissioners. They're going across the country and operating far more transparently than the government has when it comes down to COVID. Uh, but what is it? What is it going to do? And what should people keep an eye out for? Michelle Leduc Catlin joined me on the line now. Uh, Michelle, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, I don't think we have. I, we do have Michelle. There we go. <laughs> I, I can't hear you, though. You can't hear me? No, I think you are muted. We'll try to get that sorted out in just a moment here. There we go. I got it sorted out. I apologize. If you missed it, at the beginning of the show, I said that I was dealing with a major flooding issue in the home. So I was worried that everything else has just malfunctioned as well. But it is uh, good to have you here. So explain first and foremost what a citizen-led inquiry can do. Because people can talk about things, people can have their opinions. But at the end of it, what's the outcome of this that you'd like to see? Yeah, it's a really good question because it's never been done before. So, I, you know, you could answer it a couple of ways. One is that we have no idea what the outcome will be. And I think the main, the main impetus is going to be how people participate. So the main, the power of this inquiry is going to be the degree to which citizens participate. So the commissioners are going to put out a report by the end of it. There are five commissioners. They will put out a report. It will be in a public uh, space. And at that point, we will have recommendations and hopefully the government will act on them. But I really believe that it's going to be the people, you know, when they, um, how the people respond and how we participate, that's going to determine what happens with those recommendations. Is your goal to bring together people to raise explicitly criticisms and critiques of it? Or are you also wanting to engage people that believe the government may have done a good job? If 
such people even exist, <laughs> apart from the government themselves. <laughs> right. Well, government officials have been invited to testify. This is an open inquiry. As I said, it's never been done before, but we're certainly looking to report on what was done right, as well as what was done wrong, and what we can do better in the future. So let's talk about the process here. I know the first round of hearings uh, just started up uh, last week in Truro, Nova Scotia. What's the trajectory moving forward? Yeah, so the process is that people are applying to testify. They are uh, sworn in, so they are under oath when they testify. They are cross-examined by lawyers. Then the commissioners get to ask them questions. And then the people attending the hearings, the audience can ask them questions. Questions are brought up to the front and the commissioners will ask the questions that the audience has. Um, we, all the hearings happen in three-day increments. So we are in Toronto next, March 30th. 31st, April 1st. Then we move west. We go to Winnipeg, uh, Saskatoon, Red Deer, Victoria and Vancouver. And then we go back to Quebec. And then we end in Ottawa. Now, are you looking at provincial and federal and I guess theoretically municipal uh, responses here? Absolutely. I mean, we've heard we've heard some quite shocking testimony from people at all levels in terms of provincial, municipal, and community levels at this point. Nothing federally, but as I said, they, they are invited. One of the things that really strikes me here is, is that a lot of the people that push the most heavy-handed and Orwellian responses to this are kind of backtracking on it now or, or quietly hoping everyone moves on. We've seen around the world people that were, I, I'd say, quite vicious about pushing vaccine mandates. If you look at some European country, mandatory vaccination. Just last week or two weeks ago, the German health minister, who at one time was trying to get a, a mandatory vaccine bill passed, was last week talking about vaccine injuries and how the pharma companies need to compensate people. So there has been this, this walk back, but it's not been a reckoning. I, I've not seen any government official that have really come out and said, you know what, we got it wrong, we're sorry. In fact, if anything, they've just fed more and more into this idea of trying to preserve the narrative. You know, I think that where the inquiry is coming from is we're starting with a blank slate. We want people to hear the evidence. We, we're not interested in the politics of it. This is nonpartisan. We heard from people of all political stripes who were witnesses at the inquiry. There are a couple of objectives. One is to have people's stories heard. So we have experts. We have world-class experts presenting evidence, but we also have ordinary Canadians who were harmed by the mandates, by government policies. In fact, a poll was done that three out of four Canadians felt that they experienced harm due to the policies. We're not hearing from those people. Those are the people whose stories need to be told. They need to be told for posterity so that we have the record of them and they need to be told so that Canadians can begin to heal our divisions. Because I really believe this is an olive branch. This is a way to say, look, you may have agreed with these policies, but look what's what the outcome was for these people. I mean, people's lives have been destroyed. Surely we can do better. And I think if we tap into that, if we tap into the inherent kindness and compassion that Canadians are known for, that something good will inevitably come of this. 
Obviously, we just had in the fall the Public Order Emergency Commission, so the idea of an inquiry is not something that's foreign to people. This is going before that. This isn't about the Emergencies Act. It's not about the convoy. Are you really starting here at March 2020? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about everything. We're talking about the impact of masks, of lockdowns, of the of the shots, of of policies that that have people lose their jobs everything everything is on the table and what is it that you envision happening at the end of this so you'll come there will be a, a report of some kind what do you want that document to be what do you want the legacy to be I want I think we want it to be a legacy of truth. We want a, a document that tells the truth that is evidence based that tells the truth about what happened, what we did and how we can do better. So one of the things that really struck me about the government response to COVID is that we've talked about this on the show before. There was a an abdication of decision making to the so-called experts. And, and oftentimes we would come up with information that kind of disproved what the experts were saying. And the experts would oftentimes contradict themselves. And, and some people would give a charitable interpretation of this that, well, you know, the evidence changes. And when you get new evidence, you uh, amend your previous thesis and, and move on from there. But a lot of the times, I think people were expected to have a blind trust in experts, which, uh, as we saw, did not uh, suit everyone well. People had a lot of harm at the hands of, of some of these measures, and I know your inquiry is looking into that. But, but let me just ask about the role of the experts here. Do you think there could be an enduring reevaluation of how we engage in people that how we engage with people that have letters after their name, quite frankly, and, and you know how much deference we have in policy making to these people? I think that's inevitable. I think it's going to have to happen, particularly when you hear testimony like that of Dr. Phillips, uh, Dr. Patrick Phillips, who filled out 10 vaccine injury reports. Nine of those were rejected and an investigation against him was started by the college. They also contacted all nine of those patients, told them that his diagnosis was incorrect and encouraged them to get another another vaccine. Yeah. So inevitably, we're going to have to look at what an expert is and uh, are they being censored? Are they being allowed to speak? We also heard really damning testimony from um, a woman who worked worked for the Nova Scotia Board of Health, I believe, and she had data of all of the um, all of the hospital, from all the hospitals across Nova Scotia. And she said what the media was telling people was inaccurate, unequivocally. unequivocally. So without her and without this inquiry, that document that or that data probably never would have seen the light of day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. that's what we're seeing. We're seeing incredible testimony. I mean, with not just people's stories, but hard evidence. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye for the process as it goes and definitely check back in with you. Uh, Michelle Leduc catlin thank you so much for coming on and great work on this. You're welcome. Thank you. And I encourage everybody to go to the National Citizens Inquiry website, sign the petition, have your voice heard, volunteer if you can, get involved because this is only going to go the way Canadians uh, determine how it's going to go. Yes, nationalcitizensinquiry.ca, the next round uh, starting March 30th in Toronto, and it's all uh, streamed online for people to follow along, correct? Yes, it is. Thank you Wonderful. so much. Thank you so much, Michelle. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, good.
All right. Well, that does it for me for today. I So far, I've made it through, and I'm not swimming. I'm not drowning. I, my feet aren't even wet. So uh, perhaps we've uh, stemmed it, or maybe when I open the door, it's going to be just like the flood of water comes in and all the equipment's dead, and then we need to do a crowdfunding campaign. I don't know. But uh, either way, thank you so much. My, uh, my colleague Phil is saying, show us the flood, you liar. So he thinks I'm just doing this for the ratings. So if I were doing it for the ratings, Phil, I would have drowned live on air and uh, put a little donation plug there if you want to bring me back to life. That's how you do it these days. Uh, we don't get the $1.4 billion a year. We, we got to be creative. Uh, in all honesty, though, if you support independent media and uh, want to support uh, fixing my water-damaged home, perhaps, no, 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 money doesn't go towards that, you can head on over to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news, and we are going to be out in full force at the Canada Strong and Free Conference. I am leaving tomorrow. Uh, it kicks off tomorrow. I think Stephen Harper is speaking tomorrow. There's Danielle Smith. There's Pierre Pauliette. There's uh, lots of Alberta cabinet ministers, Jamil Giovanni. It's going to be a grand old time, and I hope to see some of you there. And I believe True North uh, insiders have access to a little event we're putting together. So I know I'll see a few of you there. Uh, that does it for us. We will talk to you in two days' time. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.